This week's episode, as always, is brought to you by Patchworks, our lovely synth shop here in Seattle. Please visit them online at P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S dot com. And speaking of Patchworks, Modular Seattle and Patchworks present Velocity 2022, August 27th, 11 a.m. to 2 a.m. at the substation in Seattle, Washington. Get your tickets at VelocitySeattle.com. It's trade show, it's seminars, it's workshops, it's performances. Speaking of performances, the lineup includes... But not limited to Richard Devine, Daedalus, Lisa Belladonna, Bad Snacks has been added to the lineup since I last talked about it. Walker Farrell, Travarsi and ALX106, Todd Barton, Sean Rudiman, Jeremy Blake, Patricia Wolf. We've got so many people. And then we, right in the middle of the day, we're throwing in a modular Seattle clump of just the best modular performers uh, from our area, we've got seminars with Bad Snacks, Daedalus, Walker, Farrell, Red Means Recording, um, and myself doing a live podcast with Richard Devine, Daedalus, and Lisa Belladonna. How fun is that going to be? I am so excited. Um, and then, of course, there are, uh, the trade show is going to be super fun. So what are you doing? Head over to VelocitySeattle.com and get your tickets now to Velocity 2022, August 27th at Substation in Seattle, Washington. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So now I'm trying to do like a... Uh, I didn't. I was. I, I couldn't think of it. I was trying to do a... What do you call it? Monster truck. I was trying to do like a monster truck rally thing at the end. Oh, well. Welcome back to Podular Modcast. My name is Tim Held, and I'm very excited to bring you today's chat with Andrew Eikenberry of Qubit. This podcast has been a long time in the making, and uh, I'm just so excited that we finally got to sit down and have a chat. We're going to talk a lot about uh, Aurora and uh, basically how Qubit got started and all that. And uh, yeah, it's a great chat. And then at the end, we've got a really cool patch challenge. And then don't forget, for you Podular Modcast Patreon subscribers, when there is a um, an actual patch challenge, I know we haven't had one for a few weeks, um, when there's a patch challenge from now on, I'm going to be putting up some uh, Patreon-only content where we have the guest walk us through the patch and tell us about that. So that will be up on Patreon. Um, what else is going on that I'd like to tell you about? I am still plugging away on demo videos for After Later Audio's pro uh, products, and my most recent upload last week was one on the Ornament and Crime original firmware app Quadraturia. Uh, it's a quadrature LFO. Well, it can be a quadrature LFO. Um, and I showed you how to make a shepherd's tone on that demo. So uh, head over to After Later Audio's YouTube page to keep up on all the sweet videos that I'm making. Um, and if you'd like to visit them at their website, go to afterlateraudio.com to see what kind of awesome stuff is available there. And just a reminder, a lot of cool stuff coming up this summer, or after the summer, excuse me, this year, we're going to have some pretty sweet new releases. So keep an eye out 
Patreon.com. And speaking of After Later Audio and uh, the Patreon, I have talked for a little bit about how I wanted to start giving away some prototypes of modules to uh, to my Patreon subscribers. I am going to do that this week. So I'm going to schedule a post that will be released on Wednesday, June 29th. So this coming Wednesday, tomorrow, if you're listening on the day of release here, um, it will be released on at 8 a.m. Wednesday morning. And I'll have a list of the modules with a little video with a description of each module. And the first person to chime in on a comment and claim one of the modules that I talk about gets that module. And then you send me a DM with your uh, address and I'll send it out to you. Uh, limit one module per comment. So here's what I got. I've got, um, well, actually you'll just have to see, but I think I have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, at least six modules that I will be giving away on Patreon. So. Remember, Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Patreon. Also, I uploaded some new uh, sample packs there. I put a, a field recording up there recently. And then most recently, uh, as you know, I got the Soma Enter, uh, which is I'm having so much fun with it. It's such an amazing, crazy synth. I, uh, I did a sound... Um, uh, yeah, like a, a sample pack with with sounds of the Enter, and then I even ran Strega through it. So yeah, a pretty robust sample pack on the Patreon right now. So yes, once again, everybody who supports the show on Patreon, thank you so much. It's appreciated on a level that I cannot express with words. And finally, the last thing for this intro, and then we can get into our chat. I, uh, I brought up last week that I started working with Hugo over at Tiny Crush Mixing, having him mix uh, a track that I just wrote and recorded. Um, and it's been such a... It's been an, a, an awesome experience for a multitude of reasons. And I want to share with you um, some of those reasons because I think they'll actually serve you as well. So the first thing I would say like so far, one of the most valuable things that I've learned from Hugo has to do more with like how I'm tracking things. And so this is something that we talked about um, at the one of our initial meetings and I had already tracked most of the stuff for, um, for the piece or at least I thought I had finished tracking most of it. And uh, he got in my head about effects. I love effects and I always use, you know, reverbs and delays and everything. Um, but I never record a dry track of that, you know, like have a send and return so I can have the, the effects on one channel, you know, have the, on their own track and then the clean on the other track. And, um, I, I have been doing, I've been recording a lot since. I recorded this track and since I've started working with Hugo and talking about it and and everything I do now I have I have some sort of uh, clean version because you if you know if you just commit it all to tape you can't what if you want to dial that reverb down a little bit or have it EQ'd a little bit differently than the main track or have it come in and out in different ways so that I mean it seems really obvious and it's something that I thought I've, I've never really thought about doing because I don't know why, because I think maybe with modular, it, you can get it sounding so good that you, I, I try to do as little as possible in the box, so to speak. But, um, yeah, it has been so helpful. Uh, it, it, you know, you need more outputs and more channels and stuff, but if you really want your stuff to, to, to sound as good as, uh, as possible, as many tracks as you can, uh, you know, as far as voices go, like I'd like to have every voice on its own track and then have the, the, the effects that I use on separate tracks so I can dial those in in the right way. Um, so yeah, that's, that's just been so helpful. 
Something else that's been really great is, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of self-deprecating and, and wasn't sure, you know, go back and forth on tracks that I made. And, and he has really, um, he has really boosted my confidence by just reinforcing um, some of the decisions that I liked but wasn't sure about. And maybe, you know, and so I'd talk to him about them and, and he'd be like, no, that's great. This is really cool. And, um, you know, it's just nice to have validation from, from somebody who, uh, who's, you know, who does this stuff professionally and who's very good at it. Um, so yeah, I've just, I've learned so much. It's been such a great experience and I, yeah, just wanted to share that with you. So if you're out there, Hugo, thank you for your patience and uh, all the hard work that you're doing. And of course, I'm going to be playing you this, this final mix once we get it done. Um, but yeah, I think that's about it for the, uh, for the intro here. We're gonna talk to Andrew Eikenberry from Cupid. Awesome. Okay, we're going. Is it Eikenberry? Andrew yeah, Eikenberry? Correct. That's a cool last name. What is, do you know like the where, where it's from or what it means? You know, I have no idea. As far back <laughs> as anybody knows on both sides of my family is we're Americans, you know, so <laughs> I haven't really dug into it too much further than that. But I imagine it's Northern European of some sort. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, well, I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. I've been a huge fan of what you do. I think uh, I think you occupy your definitely your own your own niche as a as a company in in the modular scene. Um, but I'd like to talk about like how you got there from as early as you want to go. But uh, I always like to see if there's if there's like any influential moment artist mentor or anything from like your past or childhood that kind of set you on the path that led to where you are? Sure. Yeah. Probably at least one or two of each of those. Um, yeah. So I, I grew up in Rancho Cucamonga, okay. which is a city in Southern California. It's about, about an hour East of Los Angeles. Okay. So it's a, it's a suburb town. Um, you know, growing up, I always felt like I lived in the middle of, a, of nowhere. Um, I always felt like it was this small town with nothing going on, but, you know, looking back on it, I was still kind of part of the largest, one of the largest metropolitan areas in the country. So I don't know if that's quite accurate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but our, our one claim to fame is that Frank Zappa had a studio early on. Okay. In Rancho right. Cucamonga. So that's our one musical claim to fame. <laughs> so, so anyways, I, I, I grew up there and as far back as I can remember, I've always been a musician. That's always kind of how I found my identity. Mm -hmm. I, I started playing drums at seven. I switched, well, I added uh, electric guitar at 12. And all throughout junior high and high school, I was really, really focused on playing in bands, you know, punk bands, hardcore bands, and then later on kind of some like prog rock style bands. And that um, kind of interestingly enough is, is what led me to the electronic music sphere. So in high school, I, I was playing in these, I guess you'd say like experimental progressive rock bands. You know, we were really inspired by the Mars Volta, if you know mm -hmm. that group. Yep. And, um, you know, like the old school Robert Fripp stuff, you know, real like experimental, trying to push the envelope, but still very much part of the rock canon. Mm -hmm. And as a guitar player, what I was mainly trying to do was use a bunch of pedals to create these like otherworldly sounds. Um, well, what I was really doing was trying to make it sound like a synthesizer, but I didn't know that yet. <laughs> I know so, that story. <laughs> yeah, right. So I was, I was, you know, Tom Morello was my hero from Rage Against the Machine, Audio Slave. 
And what's cool about Tom is he, he, he always made his guitar sound like anything, but, you know, mm-hmm. it was, it was sounding like synthesizers or helicopters or whatever you wanted to, you know, wanted, whatever he wanted it to be for that song. Mm-hmm. So right around um, sophomore year in high school, I was, I was doing this rock thing, using a bunch of pedals, making these sounds and I switched schools and I started hanging out with this new group of friends and these kids were into, they were very into these things called raves. And um, <laughs> I had no idea what this was at all. Um, but these people were very interesting, different than my old um, group of friends. Yeah, yeah. And um, finally, they kind of talked me into going to one of these strange dance events, you know, and I was like, <laughs> well, sure, why not? Let's do it, you know. So um, I went to one of these, these dance music parties on New Year's Eve in downtown LA. And, you know, we get inside. We push our way to the front of the drum and bass stage and my head explodes. You know, it was like, this is what I've been looking for. These are, these are weird. I've never heard these sounds. Where is this coming from? How are they making this? What is happening? Right. And, and each stage we went to, you know, the trance stage and the house stage and, and whatever. And it, it just blew my mind. It was just this epiphany of these are the things I've been wanting to find that I didn't even know I was looking for in the first mm-hmm. place. And that event, really became this watershed moment where everything in my life afterwards has been trying to unravel this mystery of electronic sound and electronic music. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's led me, you know, straight through to talking to you today, you know, right right then and there was this pivot, you know, this just amazing experience that changed the way I um, listen to sound, listen to music and and experience music through sound, you know, through um, the different tools that we use It, it, it all shifted. Mm-hmm. So after that, um, things changed for me musically, you know, I was still playing in these bands, but I, um, I installed like a kill switch on my guitar so I could mute it on and off. Um, I got some more pedals. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, you. you got one too. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I did that. I got more pedals and I decided, look, I'm, I'm really going to push this, right? So I'm still going to play electric guitar, but I'm going to take this a little bit further. Mm-hmm. Now, my bandmates weren't, um, they didn't share the same uh, life-changing experience that I did, and they weren't too into it. Uh, you know, it's funny, actually, I can remember. So we used to practice at my friend's um, parents' house, right? We're in high school. And um, I walked in one day, and, and my friend's dad's there, and he goes, Andrew, hey, um, no more weird stuff, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and for me, it was like, that's it. I'm on the right path. You know, the boomers yeah. don't like my new weird sounds. I, I think I'm on the right track here. Um, You're so, like telling our story is so freaking similar. Isn't really? It? Yeah. Yeah. Like right down to the kill switch on the guitar, but yeah, keep <laughs> going, keep going. That's great. <laughs> so, so after, you know, three to six months, my bandmates sat me down. They're like, Hey, you know, we don't really want to make techno. We don't know why you want to make, you know, this music either. It's not made with real instruments, you know, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. I said, cool. Well, it looks like I'm going to make music by myself for a little bit. And that's what I did. So from there I got reason, you know, the software mm-hmm. reason propeller head. Um, that's where I got started, you know, using drum machines and actual synthesizers and whatnot. Use that for a little while. I uh, wanted to go a little deeper. And that, you know, I kind of finally stumbled onto Ableton, Ableton Live Mm -hmm. Um, as being, you know, that seemed like kind of where I wanted to be. A lot of the artists I was kind of reading about were using it and the clip view concept really resonated with me. So, so I finally started using Ableton Live. This was 
probably closer towards um, senior year of high school. Um, I had my APC 40, uh, the Akai controller, if everybody remembers that. that. Oh, I, yeah. I still I, have, I love that. Thing. I've, I've had two. They're great. They're nice. fantastic. Yeah. No. So that was my first piece of hardware and I loved mm-hmm. it, you know. Um, but for me, I was always kind of wanting to go deeper, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I started, you know, I got hooked with EDM, but I wanted to go deeper right away. You know, I was like, EDM's cool, but there's more. I know there's and you more. Found IDM. There's and, a new oh, letter. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> you know the story. Of course. EDM to IDM, right? So then it's mm-hmm. Apex Twin and Audecker and Music mm-hmm. and all those warp artists from the 90s that are just so great. Um, and then from there, I finally was like, okay, you know, I started reading Apex Twins interviews and whatnot. And I started reading these names like Stockhausen and whatnot. And I was like, okay, we got to go way back. We got to go mm-hmm. to the beginning. And for me, I really wanted to see kind of where does electronic music sit on a timeline? This, this continuum of not only the development of the music and the aesthetics, but the, the instruments, you know, how has that changed over time? And so I started reading all these, you know, history of electronic music books, started getting the, into the really old electronic music studios. So like, you know, uh, the music concrete stuff, Schaefer and Berez and of course Stockhausen, I mentioned all, all that, all those works. And one thing that kept popping up over and over and over again was this, these two words, modular synthesizer. Mm-hmm. Right. It just over and over again, I was like modular synthesizer. Wow. You know, I just had this crazy, you know, it just kept popping up over and over. And it seemed to me, the more I read about it, that it just seemed like the ultimate electronic music instrument. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'd never touched one. I'd never seen one in a store or anything, but the more I read about it, the more I couldn't get it out of my mind that the, the right way to make electronic music is kind of in this pure state where everything is abstract and I'm not kind of fettered with other people's uh, interfaces or other people's aesthetics of what an instrument should or should not be, right? For Mm -hmm. me, the beauty of electronic music was and still is this like promise of, of, of discovery and, and finding new things you haven't found before. So, you know, I didn't need a keyboard. I really didn't want a keyboard. And, Mm -hmm. and the modular was, was the keyboardless synthesizer. So it had this, you know, this mystery and this appeal and, you know, um, I just, I had, I had to find a way, I had to find a way to play with one of these, you know, and I'm mm-hmm. envisioning what it's going to sound like. And, you know, I had no idea. So of course, like many people, I'm sure, you know, I'm reading these books, you know, Don Buchla, 1960s. Okay, cool. Buchla.com. Great. This is it. I found it. Okay. So let's see. $2,000. <laughs> right. Right. So I look at like one module, right? I'm like $2,000. I could swing that. Maybe if I sell everything I own and this and that, and I'm like, wait, that's just the VCO. Right. So that, yeah. that was a non-starter of course. <laughs> and um, so I kept looking, you know, that didn't put me off too much, but I kept looking. And so you got to remember the time that I was doing this. This is around when it must've been 2008. Okay. Um, so the so modular your rack was pretty new, right? Like exactly. dope for and it, a couple, a handful of other people. A hundred percent. Right. So the, th- the thing about that time was your rack wasn't the de facto standard to an mm-hmm. outsider. Right. So I'm completely an outsider here. I'm, I'm, lo- I'm just trying to read everything I can online going on um, mod wiggler and, and whatever forums I can find. And people are like, you know, I remember these forum threads where it's kind of like, you know, which format should I choose? <laughs> which is mm-hmm. funny it makes me laugh now um which format should i choose people are saying well okay so five U looks the same so it's got this aesthetic appeal visually frack rack is cool um but the most experimentation the most interesting things are going on in euro rack and that for me that resonated that that's where i wanted to be and mm-hmm. 
that was the decision. So, okay. So you're a rack. So I start adding it up, you know, I don't even think, um, I don't think modular grid was around yet. So I was, you know, maybe I had a spreadsheet or something adding up these, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> dollar amounts. <laughs> and, um, I, I, you know, I, I thought to myself, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, um, I'm going to have to make a sacrifice. And what I had to do was I sold every single guitar pedal I owned to get into your rack. <laughs> and that was the Rubicon, you know, that's the point of no return. I'd worked yeah, really yeah, hard for on sure, the pedal sure. collection. You know, I had mm-hmm. my original boss CE2 chorus, you know, and I had all these, like, you know, I had these pedals that I thought were pretty special, but, um, if I was really going to get into it, I knew that's what I had to do. So I sold all my pedals and I got my first Eurorack system and, um, actually the case, um, the first case is sitting behind me. You can see it on the video uh-huh. here. Um, so I, I got the, the dope for a 100 DIY case setup. The, so oh, it comes cool. with rails and power and, and everything you need to build a case except the enclosure itself. So, oh, uh, okay. my dad and I built this case, you know, stained it, sanded it down, built it up. And, um, yeah, I still use it to this day, um, at work day in and day That's out. Awesome. So yeah, that was my power supply. That was the only case I could afford. And let's see it. Um, I had an analog systems or solutions VCO. I don't remember. I remember yeah. Which. Analog solutions. I think I had one of their sequencers that was just like an eight step sequencer, but it was like four PCBs deep and it, yes. was, it was just enormous. Yeah. Oh yeah. But yeah, it was cool. So deep. Yeah. Super mm-hmm. cool. Um, I had that, I had a dope for ADSR. I had the dope for random module, Pittsburgh filter, and then a dope nice. for MIDI. And that was it. That was it. Okay. So really basic subtractive voice with MIDI. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, I got it synced up with Ableton. I'm sending the MIDI out, making my sequences outside the modular, but I had the analog sound, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> which at the time mm-hmm. was, that, that was the first analog synth I ever touched. Right. I'd, I'd never even had wow. a, a keyboard. It was straight to from Ableton into um, the modular environment. Okay. So you never really like got keys under your fingers, like no. in a comfortable way or, okay. Okay. That's kind of cool actually. Cause I, I started playing synth with like, you know, your Korg micro Korgs and stuff kind of similar to you, like getting into synthy rock and then just like fully crossing that threshold and realizing my bandmates and I were in totally different paths. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I wonder had I not ever learned how to play any piano or anything, how different I would approach. Cause that was, I liked the idea of still no keyboard. Like I, I don't bring a keyboard into the, the modular environment hardly right. ever. So. Well, you know, Brian Eno has that great quote. It's easy to play a synthesizer, but the hard part is to not play it. <laughs> yeah. Something along those lines. Like that. I've, that's always that. been one of my favorites. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, yeah. So that was right around the end of high school. I got the uh, my first modular and I was getting ready to go off to college. And, you know, I always knew I wanted to do a music degree, but I had kind of switched focus. Like I mentioned, I got into electronic music. So I wanted to go somewhere that had a program that was really um, focused on electronic music, um, both from the technical and musical sides. And so where I landed on for that was the Berklee College of Music mm-hmm. in Boston. They have a really mm-hmm. phenomenal program. Um, and um, that's where I, I wound up after high school. So I, I found myself in the electronic production and design major formerly known as music synthesis back in the day. That's what it was called. Okay. Uh, But when I was there, it was EPD. And my big focus early on became computer music. Um, So if if anybody's not super familiar with that term, it's not just music on a computer. This is kind of a specific genre of um, 
really it's an academic, it's a very academic genre, which has um, been centered in a lot of famous universities, studios, you know, like Princeton had a great program and Karma at Stanford and whatnot. Does it revolve around Max MSP a lot? Is that a huge? Yeah, that's a big component of it. So, you know, if I was to say, and I'm not, you know, I'm not an expert uh, computer music composer by any means, but if I was going to summarize the genre for somebody, I'd say one of the defining elements is that it tends to be um, created with these musical programming languages. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, it's, it's programmatically generated m- m- much of the time, you know, and, and this goes straight back to, if you ever read, you know, history books on, on digital sound, you're going to, you're going to start with Max Matthews and his okay, original okay. music and languages. And that's kind of where mu- computer music started and the lineage really tr- uh, continued on that traje- trajectory. So mm-hmm. things like Super Collider and C Sound and Max MSP and Pure Data, these are going to be mm-hmm. w- the tool set you're going to use to create these computer music compositions. Yeah. And for those of you out there listening who are maybe not super familiar with this, I'm going to like, th- I'm going to do my only flex in this world, but Pure Data is what. Um, the like the Critter and Guitari organelle runs off of. So if you wanted to write your own stuff to use on that, you would have to learn how to use pure data, which is like patching kind of. You're literally drawing lines from these modules, um, maybe not modules in the Euro rack sense, but these these things that have one job and you're kind of drawing uh, signal flow, right? And isn't that isn't Max kind of the same way, but a little more in depth? Yeah, exactly. I mean, Max, okay. you know, it's the same concept. It just looks a lot nicer, feels a lot nicer, and there's more objects. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's, that was me pretending I knew what I was talking about, but ask me any questions beyond what I just said, and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, was a, that was a fantastic <laughs> description. <laughs> Very accurate. So, so once I landed at Berkeley, that was really my focus. You know, I, I wanted to learn programming so I could make my own instruments. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like, you know, Modular synths are, are, are amazing in and of themselves, but like what's even cooler than modular is making your own instrument that nobody's made before. You made it for yourself. It doesn't match mm-hmm. anybody's artistic process, but your own, right? And you could do that with modular, right? To an extent, but programming opens up even more doors. It's just the mm-hmm. barrier to entry is much higher, of course. Mm-hmm. So that was my focus. And, and I really became um, uh, enamored with the C sound programming language. So C sound is a text-based language. It's not graphical like Max or PD is. So mm-hmm. it's a little more difficult, but it's still much easier than native C++. And I was really focused in that. And I was lucky because um, I, I had this mentor, Dr. Richard Boulanger at C sound. He's a professor there. And he's basically the high priest of C sound if there ever was one. Okay. So <laughs> he's, yeah, he's kind of, you know, spearheaded the movement since, you know, from, I don't know, the eighties on he's been, keeping everybody involved, keeping the community together, organizing meetups, making compositions, and then teaching it to everybody who's, who wanted to learn it. And so, you know, I was really lucky to just sit, sit at his feet and say, you know, please tell me what to do. You know, this is, this is what I want to want to learn and I want to be proficient at. So what can we do? Um, and he wrote the book on CSound. I should mention that he literally <laughs> wrote the book. <laughs> so, um, so I was really lucky. And, um, I was learning C sound. I was learning synthesis, doing all my classes and what ended up happening, which, which, which was another watershed moment for me was I was sitting in one of Dr. Boulanger's classes. It was called, what's it called? Um, alternate controllers in physical computing, I think is what it was called. We all called it circuit bending because you did a lot of circuit bending. Okay. (laughs) And, um, I actually still have my bent 
speak and spell, which I use oh, nice. uh, to this day. Yeah. And my one and a half year old niece really loves the circuit fan speak and spell. Nice. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah. <awesome. laughs> yeah. I love when she tries to turn it on and just just glitches out, you know, <laughs> is that, is that normal? <laughs> um, so anyways, I was sitting in the circuit bending class and um, Dr. B, as we all called him, he stands up in the front and he holds up this little credit card sized green circuit board. And he says, hey, guys, this is the Raspberry Pi. Oh, shit. Yeah. And this was what year was this? This must have been 2011 or 2012. And so it was like it had just come out, right? Like mm -hmm. months, not even a full year, I think, had gone by. And he's saying, here's the Raspberry Pi. I'm like, okay, that's weird. Um, you know, what's cool about that? And he says, well, it's uh, $35. It runs Linux. And um, you can buy it at Radio Shack. And um, so for me, you know, this light bulb goes off. And I'm thinking, all right, $35 Linux. Linux means it can run C sound. $35 means you can put it behind a Eurorack panel and it's not going to break the bank on your bomb. Of course, I didn't know the term bomb at that point. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Bill, and, um, uh, bill of materials for those of you who don't build modules. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bill of materials. Um, I, I, I understood that Eurorack modules were expensive and that this was not comparatively. And um, it being credit card sized meant that it would fit on a Eurorack module. And everything came together and I thought we have to make a Eurorack module. Like this is, this is amazing. This opens the doors for something that I've wanted to do, which is kind of bridge the gap between computer music algorithms and techniques and processes and this tactile fun environment that you get with the modular, you know, mm -hmm. for me, the modular was at the end of the day, you know, I'm on my laptop 10 hours a day afterwards, I get to shut it off and just patch and just, play an instrument, you know, and get this mm -hmm. tactile interface similar to a piano or a guitar, you know, it, it reminded me of holding an instrument in my hand, but it was electronic. Mm -hmm. I've never had that with a mouse to keyboard. Maybe some people have, <laughs> but it, you yeah, know, totally. Me, yeah. It was about that. So the Raspberry Pi wound up being the solution, which was going to let me connect these two worlds for me. It was going to let me take the amazing stuff that I got with computer music and put it in hardware. And I was very lucky because in that same class was another incredibly talented um, genius student named Jason Lim of Instruo fame. Mm -hmm. And uh, him and I were good friends. And we kind of, you know, we met up after class and we said, let's do this, you know, and he was really adept at the hardware side of things. So mm -hmm. he was doing a lot of stuff with Arduinos already. He was already doing circuits and in, in MIDI conversion stuff and, and things in that realm. And I was, you know, spending all my time programming. And so, you know, it wound up being a great partnership and, you know, we got our, we ordered up our own raspberry Pis, and, um, you know, it showed up on that first day and we had no idea, um, what to do with it. We kind of sat there and like <laughs> stared at it and we're like, okay, so it's got, let's see, it's got a USB connector. It's got, um, it's got an HDMI. I guess that's for a screen, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we were just so out of our element. <laughs> um, but bit by bit, um, we started piecing together something that would ultimately become the Nebula V1. Okay. And, okay. you know, for me at the time, there wasn't a lot of digital stuff on the market. Mm -hmm. Eurorack was predominantly an analog world. Well, that's something that I've always loved about what you do. And I've been wanting to find a way to shoehorn it into this conversation. Um, and I think this is the spot. I love how like unabashedly and like, interestingly you lean into the digital side like 
I think we're well beyond this kind of like analog versus kind of thing. Like you look at any setup and there's such hybrid set. My hybrid, my setups always hybrid shirt. And then you have, you know, digital control over analog actual, you know, voices or whatever. But like your, yours is just like, this is digital because you can do crazy shit. So here's all the crazy shit. And you're really good at not let, I feel like you don't let feature creep fuck with you too much when you're designing stuff, you know, like, cause you can add so much stuff and your stuff is very versatile, but it's still, you can wrap your head around it, which I really, really I like. appreciate you saying that. Cause I am ashamed to say we do, we do get feature creepy sometimes it's happened. Yeah. I'm not yeah. going to say we have it. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's there, but it's, it's not like, it's not overwhelming to where I feel like some things have so many options that you get paralyzed it's almost like netflix or spotify it's like you have if you have access to everything you know you never choose one thing to work 100 and that's what's great about modular is it, it is what it is right and you have what mm -hmm. you have you can't just load up another vst you know right um and as far you know that i'm glad you you mentioned that about the digital versus analog because digital when we got started was certainly a bad word you know, For digital. Sure. This yeah. isn't, I like analog. I remember going up to booths at like the first NAM and they're like, oh, are you familiar with analog? And it's like, oh, that's, um, yeah, I guess maybe. It's you know? such a self-report though on like, this is how little I know and understand. And I, I feel like, I mean, sure, there might be some purists out there and there, yes, there are differences, but like the whole better or I don't know, the exclusionary thing. It's like, for me at the end of the day is like, am I having, am I enjoying myself? Am I expressing myself adequately and do, you know, is, am I making music that I want to listen to and think other people want to listen to? I don't give a sure. fuck how I got there. If it's a circuit bent speaking spell or if it's me clicking a, a guitar pick into a vocoder, like it doesn't, you know, whatever. Right, right exactly. <laughs> and, and when you look at Eurorack, what's really propelled it forward a lot is these digital designs. And I think for sure, absolutely. You know, yeah. One of the reasons for that is you look at Eurorack as a format. Now we're lucky because the Eurorack community wants to experiment. You know, there are other modular mm -hmm. formats. They're not bent on experimentation quite as much, right? right. So like Eurorack is sure it's West Coast, but what was West Coast at its core? It was pushing the envelope. Let's find new things, right? Like Mort Sabotnik was, you know, I want to find things that aren't necessary. Is it music? That's what he said, right? I want to find something <laughs> that I had to wonder, is it music, right? Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> that lineage is very much what's been happening. But, you know, where is that happening right now in the world? Is it happening in analog circuitry? And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of analog wizards out there that are changing the game, right? Like mm -hmm. Seattle Lombard, like, oh my God, he's amazing. And what he's doing in analog yeah. is revolutionary. But generally speaking, it's going to be easiest to find innovation with digital technologies. Mm -hmm. and, and that's always been the thing for me is like, I know we can push forward with digital. We can find new sounds digitally and, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, what makes it so awesome as far as a modular context is it's, it's embedded. It's, it's not hard. We're not talking about software, right? We're talking about firmware, right? It's not hard. Right. It's, it's, it's not a hard or soft. It's firm, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's somewhere in the middle. Um, mm -hmm. And I was actually, I listened to this talk from Keith Fullerton Whitman one time, and mm -hmm. it really gave me an awesome perspective on this, but he was giving a talk at the media lab. If you guys don't know who he is, he's this legendary, um, uh, electroacoustic composer. He actually went to Berkeley himself, uh, way back in the day. He's always been a hero of mine. But he was giving this talk at the MIT Media Lab, and he said, you know, I have a lot of digital modules in my system, and they act funny sometimes. And, and what he was basically saying was like, just because it's digital doesn't mean I can't get the organic 
um, unpredictable nature that I get with hardware, right? It's mm -hmm, a different than mm -hmm. a plugin, you know, it's still, once you get it in the embedded world and it's powered from a Eurorack supply and it's sitting next to all these things, it's going to be a little bit, you know, it's, it's not going to be set in stone and perform the same every single time you're going to get this, these unpredictable events that happen. And I got to say right here, another thing that I've been wanting to shoehorn into the conversation. Um, I think you really, that, that just, that, that philosophical or, or not philosophical, that concept that you just talked about, that phenomenon. Um, I feel like you really encapsulated that in Qubit or in, not, not Qubit in, um, in data bender. Oh, I appreciate like that. that thing is wild. It is, <laughs> it is so wild and it's so like, I don't know. It's what, you know, there's those modules out there that like you, you, if you're a user of them, you can kind of spot them, but like sometimes they can be used in ways where you're like, I have no idea that that was a data vendor or something. You know, I feel like it's got that kind of versatility. It's got its own voice where if you just kind of like plugged it in really quick and put some sounds through it, like people in the know would know what it was, but you can still find those really special weird areas in there. So right. yeah, I just, I wanted to take some time yeah. to just kind of uh, grovel at your feet uh, and so, and praise the, uh, praise the data vendor. No, I appreciate, I appreciate you saying that. Cause for me, I'm just waiting for all my friends to be like, Hey, you got to stop using that. Like <laughs> that's kind of your only sound, bud. <laughs> I heard it in your patch challenge, but I was uh, like, nice, nice yeah. use of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, um, I don't know. It's, it's like, it's a flavor that personally I just can't get enough of um, yeah. too much. Right. It's, it's kind of problematic, but yeah, I mean, that's, it's a collection like of things. You're getting there with Aurora too. Like I haven't messed with it. I'm still wrapping my head around it. Cause it's, it's not just a reverb. Like it says in the, <laughs> it's a reverb kind of. And then, yeah, it's, um, but I feel like I I've really derailed our, the, our origin story. Sorry. I keep, no, I keep wanting to chime in and that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I don't remember where we were. Um, uh, we were talking, oh, you were talking about Keith Fullerton Whitman talking about that, um, that this phenomenon of like weird things happening, even with, uh, with digital technology. Right. 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 So, um, yeah. And that really changed my perspective, you know, and, and from the, from the beginning, I wanted Qubit to be a brand. We wanted Qubit to be a brand that was unapologetically digital. We're cool mm -hmm. because we are digital, you know, mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. we do cool stuff and it doesn't matter what the processor is or what the, what's, what the engine is to analog or digital, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we've always tried to push that. And, and one of my key, my key, um, kind of just um mantras throughout this whole process has been whatever we can do in computer music i want to be able to do an embedded because there's a lot of incredible stuff there that the world has never had access to with voltage control right and that's uh -huh. another kind of ingredient i haven't said yet but voltage control is just it's just amazing you know what i mean like we forget <laughs> how unbelievable this is and i think about that sometimes and i want to like call somebody or tell somebody that but it's like <laughs> one of those it's almost like saying like i like eating food you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah, right, but it's right. not going to get it. it. It's one of these things that's like, it's a, it's a technology that we didn't need to get rid of because it's just so special, you know, and you see this uh -huh. all over the place, right? It's like certain tech, like vinyl, you know, it's the same, it's the same thing to me. Like, yeah, vinyl records are, they didn't need to go away. They're amazing. Mm -hmm. They're yeah. so cool. Voltage control is so cool. Now being able to have things combined with voltage control that you've never had in the hist in the history of electronic instruments is amazing. And we're, at this really special time in history where embedded processes are actually catching up to be able to do things like phase vocoders and, 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 and long buffers and, and high sample rates and stuff, you know, in hardware, 
that we can put voltage control pair voltage control with you know mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. qubit's kind of taken advantage of that i'd like to think over the course of our you know almost decade now um that's crazy yeah it's crazy to me too so you're um, building stuff with raspberry pi like are you still use like are is there a raspberry pi behind all the the qubit stuff still or like what where where do we go from there no so it's problematic for a lot of reasons okay uh, the <laughs> yeah i learned um i learned a lot of hard lessons uh to do with that but so the nebula v2 does have a raspberry pi mm -hmm. um the pi itself is not made for audio and okay. this is the um, an issue right everybody who's ever worked with it understands this issue so latency is a big problem uh, power consumption is an issue, and um, it doesn't have analog to digital converters on board. Not for the audio, um, that's a given. It's not going to have that, but it doesn't have them for your control data. Okay, so it's okay. just um, what's known as GPIO, general purpose input output. These are just high or low states. So to turn a Pi into a musical device, you have to add an ADC chip, and then you have to have your you know audio codec in addition to that, and then your power consumption, your latency is still going to be crap. Mm -hmm. So um, that was an issue from the get-go. So we learned um, from our mistakes with that. We looked at all the other options over the years. You know, there's a lot of great stuff, you know, like the Teensy and mm. of course the BeagleBone and the Bela, but that's um, not um, not ideal for putting into Eurac, mostly because of the form factor. It's very large, you know, a okay. um, little bit expensive, but you might be able to work around that. But um, about four years ago, we sat down, us as a team at Qubit, and um, we started saying, you know, someone's got to make a platform that works for audio because everything's only becoming more digital. Why can't somebody just make the platform, right? And so, you know, I kept researching, am I just missing it? Did someone already make this obvious thing? And I just don't know what it is, you know, and things kind of close. I found some other platforms that were like almost right, but they missed the mark either on the price or the form factor or both, right? Mm -hmm. And we decided that we were going to launch this new project, which ended up becoming the Daisy platform. Okay. And so I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. It sounds kind of familiar, but I'm not. So it's, it's an embedded DSP platform okay. that um, kind of everybody that works in the building, we got together and we just launched this new brand and, um, and, and, and went with it from there. So what is, um, what do you mean when you say embedded? Embedded is just digital processors in hardware. Okay. Okay. So, um, so, so rather yeah, than it being so, like a VST in my computer, it's in this box in my, in my Euro rack. Exactly. It's just a fancy okay. way to say digital hardware. Basically. Okay. And so, yeah. So about four years ago, uh, we launched this brand called Electrosmith, which you might be somewhat familiar with, but, um, Electrosmith made the Daisy and we did a Kickstarter. So okay. the Daisy, um, just a little background here, you might find it interesting, but the first song that Max Matthews ever played back on a computer was the song called Daisy Bell. Okay. Was that in 2001? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. That's the song. Daisy, mm -hmm. Daisy. Yeah. So um, I've always loved that. I always thought it was such a cool story and it's been referenced a lot in pop culture and whatnot. I always thought it was super cool. So we um we named the platform daisy you know kind of okay. just an homage to max matthews great work and just this big lineage of of digital uh sound you know a dig digital technologies in electronic music mm -hmm. um so we did this big kickstarter campaign we got fully funded in 20 the first 24 hours which was just amazing it was just you know confirmation that the world does need a digital platform for mm -hmm. uh, for music mm -hmm. you know and um yeah it went on to make you know 
way more money than we ever thought we were going to be able to make. And we were able to bring the project to life. And, um, and that became the engine that powers every qubit module over the last three years. It's also okay. the engine that's powering the noise engineering Versio um, line okay. of modules. Uh -huh. and um, ModBap Modular and Nobula's amazing um, polycinematic and mm -hmm. recent oh, game module. Yeah, classic, classic modular story from a DIY uh, background. Like it didn't exist. I'm going to fucking make it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that was it. And we got lucky, right? We were at the right place at the right time. The market was hungry for it. We were scared. We had no idea what was going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we, what did we do first? I think we made a Mod Wiggler uh, forum post. You know, we had our little prototype and we took our terrible demo video with our phone and we put it up on, on Mod Wiggler. And it was it still Nebulae that you were? Were yeah. you just redoing Nebulae with this? Okay. No, I'm just saying when we launched like the original, the first, you know, when we were getting ready to actually launch the company, it was, you know, we uh -huh. just did the mod wiggler post and it got this amazing feedback. And so we're like, okay, let's build a hundred. And then we, uh -huh. you know, and then we sold them and then we, and then we did another batch and then we did, you know, so on and so forth. And, and mm -hmm. um, it just became this amazing thing that we were lucky to just jump in full time. Hey, let's do it. This maybe could be a career, you know, for yeah. us. Yeah. That's awesome. And, um, what and an exciting kind of, feeling too. Yeah. You know, wow. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> um, so, okay. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, so, you know, we rode that, um, rode that wave and yeah, exciting. It, it's, it, you know, I've listened to a, a lot of your podcasts too. A lot of people talk about this, but the, um, making your hobby, your profession thing is like bittersweet, you know, it's like, yes, totally. it's so exciting. And then you kind of, you know, you reach these moments where you almost, you, you want to find your, your identity again. Cause you're like, wait, so like, I was this guy who like patched modular synthesizers but now I'm this guy who makes modular synthesizers, but I'm not patching them. I'm having a hard time patching them like I used to. You <laughs> no, know, I don't have time. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. So that's been. Um, I think everybody's kind of had to learn how to um, how to manage that. Mm -hmm. You know, and for everyone's sure. got their own um, their own techniques for that. But yeah, well, what it seems to be a common thread, and I and I get this sense just from talking to you and and just you know the company and what you're putting out. There's still. Um, there's still a fire in your belly for it. You still feel this. I like, I've been telling people lately or using this term, like just, it's a compulsion. Like when I want to make something, you know, somebody asked me about, um, uh, you know, keeping on track with making stuff and finishing stuff and, uh, you know, setting up goals and finishing them. And it's just kind of like, for me, it's like, I have to strike when the iron's hot. I have to go when the muse is calling me, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I can't do, I don't, I haven't figured out a way to turn that on or off. Um, I just have to take advantage of it when it's happening. And it's literally just feels kind of like a compulsion to like do it. Right. Um, right. So now I, I get that sense from designers too, because especially in your rec, they are pieces of their hardware to make art with, but they're pieces of art too. Like you have a very, very um, cool aesthetic about the way they look and all of, you know, that's just like a huge part of it as well. So, um, I don't know. That's just like, it, I'm sure it is hard to keep it interesting, but it seems like it still has stayed that way for you. Yeah. And it's not really interesting for me. It's always been kind of managing burnout, you know, cause right, like right. I love it so much that, you know, when I work these 50, 60, 70 hour weeks, whatever, you know, we're, we're putting in long hours and, and, 
you know, and I love doing it, but you get to a point where no matter how much you love something, it's too much. Right. And, and then totally. you know, for me, I've kind of come to, to see the warning signs, you know, I'll notice that I'm getting kind of um, indecisive about things. Uh, I'll, you know, I'll be playing with some amazing new firmware and I'm not feeling, I'm not excited. You know, I'm not mm -hmm. feeling the sense of awe and wonder that I usually feel. And I realize I need to address this before it progresses, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have experienced this in a lot of ways over the, the pandemic itself. Um, and I've seen a lot of manufacturers, I think designers going through it, but for me, I always try and kind of refine the spark somewhere, you know, mm -hmm. and, and re just rekindle, just rediscover why I'm here in the first place. And, you know, it usually takes different forms. Um, the first thing I'll try and do. And true. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Let's oh, yeah. I have a few. You have I, any advice for us? <laughs> it, sure, sure. So I, you know, I actually have kind of like a 10 step technique I'll break down for you guys. The uh, Andrew Eikenberry patented trademark um, burnout. <laughs> <laughs> I've been bad. I've battled it. Right. And Hey, no, one's going to make good modules when they're burnout. That's a fact. Mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to be your best self when you're burnout. It doesn't even matter module or not. You're not going to be your best self. So, um, for me, first and foremost, I usually try and seek out, um, some gear that'll kind of refresh my take on things. Um, and I can tell you from experience about what was it, six to eight months ago, I found Seattle Lombard mm -hmm. and I was going through this like really intense period where I was just feeling super burnout, kind of bummed on everything. Um, we hadn't put out a module in a while and we were battling the Aurora and everything was kind of hard. And one of, one of the guys I work with brought in the plum butter. Mm -hmm. He's like, Hey man, you want to patch this? I'm like, ah, man, I don't know if I have time today. I'm super busy with emails and, you know, logistics and whatnot. And he's like, come on, come patch. So, you know, I sit down, I indulge, you know, all right, let's do it. You know, plug in a few patch cables and 10, 15, 20 minutes later, I forgot what I was doing. Cause it just blew my mind. Here mm -hmm. was this incredible new take on what a modular instrument is and, and an incredibly new take on what modular synthesis can be what the interface should be like what it should um how it should function and sound and work and be laid out and i just fell in love with it and mm -hmm. it just sparked that fire i was back in it yeah. and not only was i just loving every second that i was spending with this amazing designer's work you know i snatched up the coco Quantis and i got the rolls and i got all the stuff and i'm loving <laughs> it but now when i came back into work the next day and we're battling the aurora it's like oh yeah, this is cool. Making modules is cool. Making instruments <laughs> is important, you know, yeah, and yeah. he, you know, I just have to say thank you to Peter Blasser. Um, cause he sparked that for me. He brought me back That's and, cool. and, and anybody can do that, you know, and, and, and if you're, if you're receptive and you, you know, the warning signs in yourself, you can kind of seek out things like that. Right. So step mm -hmm. one for me is like, find some new gear and get a different take on what you're doing, you know, and yeah, it doesn't have totally. to be modular specific. It could be anything. Um, totally. number I'm two, feeling that with oh sorry i'm feeling i just got a i just ordered a soma enter nice so oh yeah i'm really great. excited for that <laughs> yeah totally totally all their stuff looks amazing i haven't gotten yeah. um gotten my hands on it yet but um so Step yeah two. So number two is um trying to either connect with people in the field you know face to face or listening to hey pod podular modcast right you mm -hmm. know it's like i get so inspired when i, I listen to my heroes or my friends or you know, whoever talking about their background and the struggles they go through. And it's like, yes, I've gone through that. It's okay to go through that struggle. And Hey, electronic music is still so cool. I'm going to get back in it. This is inspiring, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, being able to listen to like, you know, your hallmark uh, landmark episodes with Dan green and, um, Oh, I mean, everybody, right. There's so many, everyone's yeah, been on your yeah. show. I feel like at this yeah. point, <laughs> but that's yeah, Dan, Dan is, uh, I love it too. Meeting all these people, like especially like your Dan Dan Greens your your uh, Tony Rolando's like yeah 
I was just so intimidated to talk to so many people um, and just how just genuinely nice like everybody I've talked to oh, yeah. these years has been. It's been so cool. I don't know. Just no, the scene a is lot so of great. good, a lot of good players for it's sure. It's so great. hundred percent, hundred percent. No, yeah. What I was, what, so burnout, right? Um, mm -hmm. Music is a big one for me. So finding some modular artists, um, that's always super inspiring. I know for the past year, I've been really listening to um, R. Benny's Natural Fiction. Mm -hmm. And that's just been like, medicine you know it's like oh this is such great music and the, you know he uses the tools that we make i mean this is not just me you know we we me right. but the whole community right you're right mm -hmm. right you know and that's just super therapeutic just listening mm -hmm. to music and realizing that there's something bigger than than selling modules right what we're doing is we're making musical tools mm -hmm. that make better sounds make the world sound better can can is there anything more important than that you know right, and that's right. kind of like humbling in a way to be like hey what are you what are you upset for like this is amazing you're lucky to you get to wake up every day and make modules just go do it and be happy you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and that's always a super great thing but i have to say there's a time when you can't cure burnout from within you know and that's always my go to cuz i want to stay in it but like electronic music will not always heal the burnout there's a world <laughs> outside and i know it's hard to believe but there is a world outside of modular and outside of electronic music so um i try to go to nature you know nature is yeah. very therapeutic for me and um where are, actually, you, where are you located so we're in san clemente california okay it's okay. about smack dab between la and san diego okay okay yeah an hour south of la an hour north of san diego uh, right along the coast there okay so um one thing i've gotten super into the last couple of years is scuba diving oh nice and it's wow. great because you know it's about as far away from modular synth as you can go because it's really <laughs> quiet there's not a lot of sound yeah. underwater uh-huh and um there is this secret connection between scuba diving and electronic music which i'm dying to uncover a little bit more maybe you can work this into your questions uh okay people. but okay. if you're not aware there's this really secret connection there. So um, I've done a little bit of studying on it. And, you know, I'll, I'll key you into what I found. You can tell me if you have any insight on it. But Dave Rossum, super into scuba. Diving. He was, I read this interview from the 70s, where he was like, super advanced certifications. He's teaching it all the time. It's like his, his obsession, right? He oh, was like okay. scuba diving all the time. Um, my old mentor, Dr. B is an uber um, scuba diver all the time diving. Uh, Mark Verbos, is a okay. master diver. I think he has that on his IG profile. That's already okay. found out. Okay. <laughs> and uh, who else? BT. Do you know who BT is the the trance megastar? I think I've heard. He's incredible. Of. He's, he's okay. a great guy. He's a, another big hero of mine. But he's a big scuba diver. Anyways, this is super off topic, but whatever the connection is between scuba diving and electronic music, please somebody let me know because everybody's into it. I have. Well, it. You have to. Uh... You have to be into it enough to get over the hump of learning. Like you have to learn how, I mean, I, like it's obviously way more dangerous to scuba dive than to modular synth, but <laughs> yeah. if you plug something in wrong, you could blow something up. Yeah. So like, and you have to understand what you're going to do before you get into it. And I feel like there's got to be a level of, for lack of a better word, kind of just like that nerd in us that just likes to like get super in depth about something and, you know, just the gear, the coming up to avoid the bends, you know, and like just all the stuff. I wonder if there's just like the connection of just having to put yourself within this world to fully understand 
something like the technological versus the human side and, and the, the, the balance between the two. I don't sure. know. That's, that's sure. something that just pops in my head right off the yeah, bat. No, and that there's something to be said for that. I mean, I've always thought that maybe it's the gear, the technology connection, you know, and you know, you're going into this like artificial, artificial, like environment for humans. You're, you're breathing through an, an apparatus we created in this world you're not supposed to be in. It's like, I don't know, I could see some sort of corollaries between the modular synth world and, and the underwater. You know. It's explorative, you know, you're, you're exploring this, this thing that's, that's foreign, you know, even though it's, it's been around our whole lives, as far as humans go. And as far as the history of music goes, electronic music is pretty new. Yep. Um, much like we have explored some of the ocean, but haven't explored most of it, you know, I wonder, um, yeah, I wonder, I, that's, that's, I think that's a funny connection. Yeah. Okay. So getting yourself out, out of the environment. Cause I was going to say that too, maybe stepping away and getting into nature. That's something it's hard for me though, because I've kind of like melded the world of nature and electronic music together I've seen that. Yeah, <laughs> so like every time i'm like i really want to go camping because i want to go camping but i also really want to go so i can bring my new field recorder and you know <laughs> yeah, of course. yep yep so yeah you got to be careful got to be careful yeah um do you have more did you really have 10 steps no no oh no. okay i was gonna say we're only on three no that's we're because we're 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 um, about at an hour and i don't want to take up too much of your time i'm i mean oh. this has been so awesome to get the the history but we haven't even talked about aurora yet right um and i definitely want to get to that but like i feel like people out there listening like we touched on data bender i don't hear a lot i don't know a lot of people who have used it but i've been like evangelizing for cascade i think that's such a brilliant useful module um obviously cord i think cord kind of, I, I feel like that was what put you on my map that's what got me like familiar with with your stuff um yeah. but was that like what i mean i know nebulae obviously is like a big module but was there like another was it cord or was there something that kind of like bumped you up to the next step it felt like or has it been a progression no, I mean, Chord, I would 100% say kind of level, we leveled up with that one, you know, yeah. it's a new audience. Um, um, and, and it was kind of the, the, the next one after the Nebula that was just pretty, pretty widely popular mm -hmm. and, and got us on people's radar, like you mentioned. And, um, you know, the Chord was a design that kind of I had in my head in the very beginning, the first days that we were even contemplating starting a company because we were going to, you know, the jazz school, Berkeley College of Music. Right, right. And, you know, um, as much as Yurek is about experimentation, I still love tonal harmony and it has its place, you know. And I was kind of bummed because I couldn't do any tonal harmony in, or I shouldn't say couldn't, right? That's not the right word, but it's very difficult. It was prohibitively difficult to accomplish in the Yurek ecosystem. And when things are, that difficult they you tend not to do them right that's just mm -hmm. the way it works and so i wanted to make it more convenient so we could um make music that way in in in, in the Eurorack world in the modular world and um create some tonal polyphonic uh, music and textures and whatnot so it came from that kind of old school desire in me to open up a world to something that everybody else already had but modular somehow still did not mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i feel like it's funny. I feel there's, a, there are these weird trends that happen where I, I, I know that all the designers aren't like calling each other or having summits on like, what's going to be this year's flavor. But I feel like there, there is this weird thing in the ether where these 
like certain years are the filter years, certain years are the, you know, whatever. Um, but I feel like chord kind of, I mean, maybe I'm misremembering this, but I feel like chord kind of started the avalanche of this, like all these different ways, whether it was the oscillator or the different types of sequencers you could get to get chords in the, in the modular. Sure. Well, I, you know, I, I wouldn't say it started it because I remember it exactly what you're talking about. The NAM that we announced chord was the polyphony year. Everybody okay. had uh -huh. <laughs> either a polyphonic quantizer or the polyphonic oscillator or the quad oscillator. I think there yeah, was like yeah. three other companies had the same thing and they beat me to the market anyway. So we definitely didn't start it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, it's, but it is just so funny that that seems to happen, you know, like I'm pretty sure like, um, I'm a big fan of SSF stuff and obviously make noise stuff. And like, I think the the dipole filter and the QPAS, and I feel like there was another like big filter that was, you know, these multiple, like not just your run of the mill filters, but these crazy, I mean, if we want to talk about innovation and in, in analog design, those two, I think are pretty, sure. pretty 100%. special. Um, it happens every year and I don't know what it is, you know, but for some reason we're all on this weird mental, um, just thread we're connected mm -hmm. somehow all these designers and, and we, we work on these things by ourselves and bring them out and we're like oh great yes they got it too they got it too you know the prism my stereo filter was that same year oh was it okay <laughs> yeah there I you go the prism <laughs> i'm pretty sure that was the same yeah same exact name uh, <laughs> it's amazing you know it's cool it feels you know we're all part of this community and it's this kind of healthy competition you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know well and they're all different like it's it is cool to see these like options but like I definitely like I could use a, a, di a stereo dipole a prism and a QPOS all in the same system. And I wouldn't be I, sure they're filters, but I, I feel like they'd all be scratching way different itches. Oh, and they're, you know, so I, I like that aspect of it. That's what's great about URAC. And one thing that I love about the user base is that they know what they want. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The promise of modular sense, if you will, is that you're designing an instrument yourself. Right. And yeah. the, mm -hmm. all the customers in your rack, they will tell you specifically, well, you know, I needed control over, um, over the, the, the signal path on the wet dry, you know, this is really arcane, minute details. They mm -hmm. know what they want. And, you know, I've always loved that about users, um, at least mm -hmm. the, the, your rack user base. I think it's really cool. And it leaves room for tons of variations on a theme. You know, there's a different customer for the dipole than the QPass than the prism. And, totally. and it's, it's really neat. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that concept is something that I've been really focusing on internally the past couple of years is how can we listen to users more, you know, like we might be okay at designing modules, but we're not better than our users most of the time, right? Like they're still going to come to me with a future request the day after I release that I didn't think of mm -hmm. <laughs> every time, every time. Totally. Just totally. Yeah. Think of that. I why didn't we it? Gonna, yeah. You know, we're doing this for so long, but we're never better than the users. And at the end of the day, who uses our stuff the most musically, right? It's going to yeah. be the, the people that are buying the, the, the modules. Mm -hmm. So for me, I've been wanting to say, you know, how do we listen to them more and how do we get them involved in the development process to improve the tools? And one of the ways this culminated was the USB port on the Aurora, actually. Mm -hmm. So the concept for us is really how do we make module development kind of a living thing, like an ongoing, it's never quite finished, right? It's this, 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 the module becomes like a living thing, you know, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and we take community feedback and we solicit this feedback and, and then we integrate things and we keep the firmware moving over time. You know, we're not just fixing bugs. We're not just like, okay, we shipped it. So let's move on to the next thing. But how do we keep keeping people engaged and, and really making the instrument better because of what they have to say after using it.
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it seems like kind of a small detail right now, I think this, you know, it's got the USB port. Okay. So I have like the manual on there and maybe a firmware file, but over time, I think that'll wind up being one of the most important parts of the product is what we're able to accomplish by working with the community and getting them involved and keeping this as alive as a, as a platform really, instead of okay. just a product that we shipped, you know, and we're done with. Right. So okay, can you just kind of expound on that a little bit? Give me some, some examples of, of maybe some hopes or, or um, yeah, some ho- of, of what, what kind of, what, how that relationship will develop. Like, sure, sure. What will so, some of those things be? One of the most common things, we get a lot of emails about this and a lot of suggestions on social media, but customers will, for instance, say, hey, this one parameter, I wish it only went to five instead of 10. Mm-hmm. Now, this person has a really concrete need, right? Um, and maybe that's not the best example because you can attenuate, right? But right. Um, maybe they want a parameter to go farther than it actually does. That's probably a better example. Um, easy for us to accomplish. Um, maybe it's not the right choice for everybody, but this person knows what they want for their particular musical process. and the only thing stopping us from doing that is the ability to a update the firmware easily and b have a programmer create the firmware file Mm -hmm. so this has been a long-standing issue for us is being able to update firmware on modules it's a problem for everybody you know how do you update the firmware on a piece of hardware well okay there's a lot of different solutions you can use um sd cards probably one of the smoothest Uh, Most of the time, though, you're unscrewing the module out of your rack, you're connecting it to your computer, you're flash, maybe you're buying a programmer even, so you have intermediary Mm -hmm. hardware that you have to flash, and it creates issues. And back to this kind of just, it's so difficult that it's going to prohibit people from wanting to do it all the time. So after a lot of soul searching, we kind of landed on flash drives. Everybody's got a flash drive, everybody's got a computer. If we just, you know, take the deep dive and put a massive amount of panel space dedicated to this type a connector. Um, a lot of these problems go away and, mm-hmm. and we can provide easy, quick firmware updates all the time. Not only just custom updates, which maybe, you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 people are going to find interesting, but we can do configurability updates. So there's the customers who are going to request um, one minute feature. We're going to, we want to change it. We want to work with them, put it up on our website. Everybody can use it, but um, having a configurable file, so, you know, this options.txt file is really powerful because we don't actually have to just make custom firmware. We can just add a setting and then everybody can tweak their module. You know, mm-hmm. hey, you code how far this, this knob's going to go. It's just one number change in this text file. And then everybody can kind of take another level of ownership on their modular and customize the instrument even further. You know, it's almost like a modular modular. Yeah, I was just going to say, you're kind of taking the concept of modular and like bringing it a level deeper, but you're also like providing like, in a way, an an educational tool, because I don't know how to do any of this stuff. But, but because you're making this, this, this piece of gear with this, this ability, like that's my that could be my gateway into getting into this. It could be a kid's get, you know, a young modular synthesis gets into this and then really enjoys the way, you know, like they, they feel like they have a propensity towards this and they start the next qubit, you know, or whatever it is. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's easy, right? I mean, I tell the people this all the time. If a dumb musician like me can start making models, (laughs) they can do it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Of course you need to be determined. You need to, you need to, you know, keep at it. You need to work hard, but you know, anybody can learn these things if you try, if you really try. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, again, we're, we're, we're going long and I, I am fine. Cause I want to keep talking to you, but I know you're a busy guy. I don't want to take up too much of your time. So if there, do you want to like, 
we can hit like I want you to be able to talk to talk about Aurora and say everything you want to say about it, whether that's the story, just kind of describing what it does. Um, I want to say that I'm trying to find a way to to say this without it being I don't know. I'm just going to I'm just going to talk about it. Uh, I've had some people ask me since I got it, you know, asking me about how similar it is to clouds or, you know, is or whatever. Um, and as much as I, I respect clouds and I think it's a, you know, obviously revolutionary and, you know, tool. And I think it's very cool. And people have done a lot of cool stuff with it. Um, I don't, I see the comparison, but I feel like Aurora is what I've always wanted clouds to be. <laughs> Ooh, I, I mean, I'm only saying that because I can't get clouds to do what I want clouds to do. And I know it can do, maybe it can, I'm not good at it. So I'm putting that all out there, but I just, I don't, I don't think they're all that similar other than they're like weird reverbs, um, which I know that's not what clouds is, but that's what people use it for a lot of the yeah. time. I mean, I would um, say they're not the same, you know, they're, they're very like, they're I mean, same. is Aurora even granular? No it's spectral, right? Exactly. So I think they're totally different things, but I don't know. I was getting kind of bummed. Like, why are people putting these together? And I think it's just because clouds can be weird reverb. Sure. It's a weird audio processor and ours is a weird audio processor and they have reverb mm -hmm. in common. So sure. Yeah. I get that. Hey, clouds yeah. are still on our rack here at work and, and we love it. So, you know, it's, it's not really a, you know, I don't think they're direct comparisons. I don't either. And, and yeah. I, that's why I didn't want to bring it up because I don't know. I, I, I guess I wanted to bring it up because I had had, I had seen that and I wanted by having personal experience with it, I wanted to squash that. Sure, sure. To with people who were asking me about that, right, you know, right, right. Like it's not the same, and this is, and this spectral kind of thing is something that I've been looking for. Like you know, like as you, I mentioned earlier, getting out into nature, I like to process, like, and going back to that Morton Sabotnik thing, I want, I want to create soundscapes or music out of things that aren't that. So in nature, process sounds, and I've, I've had like a lot of cool tools, but I feel like some of them were covering the same bases and I've been looking around me and like there's got to be something out there that kind of in the spectral realm that can get me to where I'm at and I feel like Aurora is that thing so I'm I'm really really excited to bring it I'm camping honored to hear that <laughs> <laughs> that's really great um but yeah that's that was my big spiel but I, I would love to have you talk about it in in whatever ways you want sure to. well it's a great story um it's probably one of the better module development stories uh, I think we have there's a lot of drama which is good. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and I got to say also the freaking, the, the artistry on the panel in the back and all the, the pin and the, I like the new logo and all, uh, you know, all the stuff. It's Thanks. been, yeah. it's been yeah. very cool. It took us a while to land here. Right. And it's, it, yeah. it's, it's due to this long dramatic development process that we were able to do all these different things, but yeah. Cause we've been talking about doing this and you sending me one for a while. And I keep when, lying and, to you. Yeah. I'm like, Hey, it's yeah. going to be out next month. And then six months go by. <laughs> hey, is it done yet? Oh, it's going to be another six months. So <laughs> I've, I've had to, I've set like reminders on my, yeah. uh, he's like, all right, ask him in May. All right. So uh, May 3rd, I'm not going to ask him May 1st, but I'll ask May 3rd. Like, Hey, are we going to do that? Or, <laughs> oh man. well, I'll tell you this. No joke. Six months ago, we almost scrapped the whole thing. Oh, really? The okay. entire project. Yeah. Six months ago, nothing was working. Nothing was working. It wasn't, it wasn't a compelling musical instrument. And we were almost like, well, it's been what, two and a half years. Are we just going to move on? We need to release a, a module. And if this isn't, 
if we can't do what we were promising people we were going to be do, we'd rather not release it at all. You know? So from the beginning, were you saying we're working on like a spectral effects thing that's going to be reverbish, but sort not? Of, or, sort okay. of. So the very first concept, um, and this is something that you see a lot of people talking about, is convolution reverb. Right, it's the big okay. thing in the Eurorack world. And in Tasty Chips, um, I forget the exact model name, but they have a um, convolution reverb out now, which is super great. So about three years ago, we said, okay, we're gonna make a reverb. Well, what can we do that's unique, that kind of works with this computer music inspiration and brings it into hardware? Convolution reverb, great, nobody's done that, let's do it. So we got the, the convolution, getting that working was the easy part. The problem was our knobs could only be updated once every like 10 seconds. So it was cool. It was great. But, you know, unless if you wanted to turn those knobs, ah, it's not really going to work. Okay. Wait, can I stop you real quick? Just sure. I'm going to, I, I, I'm what, what is the convolute? What is convolution reverb? Um, and then I'm, I'm assuming when you were saying turning the knobs, there's a latency involved with it. Right, exactly. So convolution, like it's bare simplest is you're taking one signal and you're multiplying it by an entire other signal. And so what it okay. does is it allows you to like crossbreed the timbre of two different signals. Aha. Okay. Kind of in okay. its most like basic layman uh, explanation. So due to the unique um, processor requirements of this, it could do the algorithm. It could do the DSP, but your knobs um, could not be updated very quickly, which would be, yeah, latency is one way to think of it. Well, it seems like just built into the concept, there would be latency in this, in, in this perception of the sound changing. So sure, is that sure? I mean, is but that, it, that's not, so the issue I'm talking about specifically is that the, the CPU was so busy performing these, you know, math operations on the samples that it didn't have time to read in what your pot value was, your, your knob I see. value okay. was. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, sorry if I use technical. No, I say pot all the time and I'm like, I yeah. gotta remember that. Yeah, not everybody, yeah. So, so we, it only had time to, to see where the knobs were at every five seconds, 10 seconds, if at all. So let alone throw out your concept of control voltage. No way. Let alone your knobs. Right. You right. Know. right. So pretty early on, we had to scrap the convolution idea. And that's when we started to say, okay, let's make this a spectral reverb. Now, spectral processing is something where you basically, you split your incoming signal into two different domains. And this is your time domain is the domain we're used to. We're very familiar with this. So like very Phasers speed, and... yeah, very speed sample playback is time domain processing, right? It's going to um, increase your length as you slow down your signal. Mm -hmm. Now, spectral processing, your signal comes in, you use something called a phase vocoder, and this just analyzes the incoming signal. It splits it into two domains. You have your time representation and you have your frequency representation. Now, what's powerful about this is you can affect one without affecting the other. So this is what we did on the Nebulae. One of the things okay. that makes it so cool is you can slow your sample down, but it won't change your pitch and vice versa. Aha. And so we came up with this spectral concept. With That's why I need a Nebulae. That's why you need it. Talk, Come on. I've been trying to talk <laughs> myself out of it because I, I'm like, I have all the samplers except for that one. And it's been like... Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. I th I'm pretty sure it's, it's the only one that has a, a phase vocoder on board doing that type of processing. Okay. Nice. But so we wanted to do that in the spectral domain. And what really got us kind of on this train of thought was time stretching, you know, like, well, what if your tail was actually just stretching out the amplitude component of your signal instead of using delays to kind of smear and, and create the, the typical reverb delay. Right. And um, that's where, what inspired it. And we started down the path and it was um, not too long that we did our first NAM, 
so gosh, what year was that? Was the, I think it was the last NAM before COVID. Okay, probably nineteen. Yeah, nineteen. 1920 everything's a blur right i feel yeah, like that was know, last week I know, totally three years almost <laughs> <laughs> but so we go to nam and it's you know smoke and mirrors we got a prototype working and i i have to tell you guys it's smoke and mirrors sometimes i'm sorry but you know the prototypes that we show at trade shows um we get them working as best we can you know and then and then we work to um to flush out the design and make it acceptable for our users mm-hmm. but we got a rough prototype working as well as we could and it was okay it, you know it wasn't terrible but it suffered from a lot of common pitfalls with, um, with this type of embedded processing. So had some latency issues. It had some audio fidelity issues. I think we had to run the sample rate, sample rate kind of low in order to accomplish it. Um, and it was just dull because of those two factors, of course. So, you know, we keep working on it. COVID happens. The chip shortage happens. The DAISY platform happens, which is kind of a big part of the story. Um, the DAISY platform comes out. It's doing pretty well. And there's a factory fire at the, um, the manufacturer's plant who makes the audio codec. Is that, do you know Eric Schlappy from yeah, Schlappy yeah, Engineering? Yeah, I've talked to him a couple times. Is that the same factory that screwed him over? Because I know he was working on something that had a specific chip in the factory. Uh, very possible. I have no idea. It's AKM is, is okay. the company, right? So not too long. It's like a few months, what, three to six months after the stay-at-home orders and we get news from our rep, hey, there's a factory fire. And um, yeah, you're not going to get your orders anymore this year for this audio codec. And audio codec is a key component because it converts the audio from analog to digital and back or vice versa, right? Uh-huh. Um, on the ins and the outs. And um, to add insult to injury, the company actually made that part obsolete. So they never brought it back even once the factory came up back up again. So it was very oh disheartening. Oh, my God. Oh um, so that was the original codec that we had, um, we we're planning on using on the, um, the Aurora. So that was out the window. The Daisy platform had to get redesigned, but it's a good thing. It's a good thing because the reason the Aurora sounds so good is it's using a better codec than we, we ever cool. were hoping to use originally. Right. So, uh, the Daisy platform got redesigned. We jumped back on the Aurora in earnest, kept working on it, kept hashing it out. And then one of the key details that came into play. So if you've ever seen the NAM prototype, I think it had an SD card on the front. If okay. maybe not, I don't remember. It was either an SD card or remember. no SD card, who knows, but it didn't have a flash drive. And so we had this big meeting. We've been thinking a lot about firmware and, and, and engaging the community and being able to kind of collaborate with the community. And we came to the decision that SD cards are not the way to go. We need it to be USB. We need people to be able to update their firmware easily. And we have to um, accommodate that. Now that was, um, that was a nightmare for a lot of reasons. So in order to add USB that could update the firmware, you have to write something called a bootloader, mm-hmm. which is a small program that lives on any you know, computing device. And its job is just to take a firmware file and load it into the flash that will actually execute the instructions. Um, this is not an easy thing to program. <laughs> it's, very, <laughs> it's low level stuff you're writing. It's very difficult and it's very time intensive. So that was a tough decision that we knew was going to delay. We knew it was going to delay the release. And we just came collectively to this decision that, no, we're going to do this right. We're going to make sure this module is what we want it to be, whatever it takes. And so that was the first mountain that we had to move. And, um, you know, we did. And it, and it worked out really well. So that was the first thing. Um, later on down the road, we got feedback from some of the beta testers that were just saying like, Hey, like, I kind of never know what's happening. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell what's going on with it. And I can't tell visually what's going on with it. And it's even more confusing because of that 
specific reason. And so that was another time to look in the mirror and say, okay, well, what's wrong with this and what can we do to fix it? Now, of course, you know, we had two LEDs, one for freeze, one for reverse, but you didn't know what your incoming level was. You didn't know what any of the parameters were at a glance. And um, that's where this new um, UI with all the blinking lights came to fruition. It came, it came out of this desire to be able to see quickly the state of the module. Mm -hmm. And, and it made it, you know, it made it a lot more fun for us. I think it's a lot more fun to play with now that we have this nice UI and you can see where things are happening. It looks you can see your so audio. good too. Oh, yeah. I that. It so looks so good. <laughs> that was, that was another mountain. We had to figure out the process, right? Before that, we'd only ever used aluminum front panels. We'd never done PCB material, how to do the lights through it. That was a whole, you know, mm -hmm. whole thing to figure out. Um, so we figured that out and, um, what am I leaving out? So all those things happened. We had the prototype. This is about six months ago and it just sucked. It was not good it, it musically it was not compelling so it was it was reverbing it was spectraling but there was no cohesion no cohesion between the different elements right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and what we had to do was really go in and find ways to turn it into a musical tool and so what we had to do was really optimize all of the algorithms that we could so that we could kind of gain CPU cycles to add filters here and curves here and fade it all together and get a lot of amplitude control because it would be too quiet or be too loud. And so we'd have to, you know, just smooth it all out and create it into the musical tool that we ended up shipping. And that was a whole, you know, three month ish process of just tweet polishing, right? We, that's what we like to call it. We, that's the polishing phase, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. but I swear to God, we, we almost scrapped the entire thing and just moved on. Right. I imagine that. those are the nights you're you're trying to fall asleep, and it's just all you're doing is yep. like troubleshooting in your head. Oh, of course, and, of course. Yeah. Well, and especially wow. you know, for us, we we showed it off at Nam, and you promise people things, and they get really excited, and they start emailing you, and then you feel kind of beholden to them. Like I owe I owe them this, you know. Yeah. Like they're waiting, they're excited. We have to finish this and make it good, and that that'll yeah. that'll keep you up, one hundred percent. For yeah, I mean, it's I, as a consumer, it is relieving to hear you prefer to like take that like yeah take your lumps for that and you're mostly you're 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 giving yourself lumps for that but um rather than like try to release something that isn't what you you know for lack of a better term what you think is good enough you know so that's that's better i you know i think that's the right choice obviously sure um, sure and it's hard as a company right because you're always yeah. balancing well we need to ship so that we can pay the bills, you know, and we have this deadline and we got to get products mm -hmm. out. But at the same time, we need to make works of art that people can use to make music, you know, and, mm -hmm. and balancing those th two things is not always easy. Yeah. So, um, but we were lucky. I mean, I, I think we made the right call. We stuck it out and, um, you know, we were able to release something that people love that people that resonates with people. Yeah. I was going to ask how, how, how is it, how does it feel? Like it's, I mean, it sounds like because it was such a dramatic and such a, you know, like, marathon oh it's, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. such it's such a relief i mean i was it's just the night before we started with the night before we did the big announcement with the new demo videos and stuff i'm still and i can't sleep i'm thinking i like this but are people gonna like is it too weird right and that's a that's a big problem that we at least struggle with all the time because we, we we make things that are weird sometimes and so it's like is it too weird did we take it too far you know <laughs> I, I could see that worry but i think i i mean for me that's why i go that's why i go to qubit is is for the the weird, you know, like the usable weird, I, 
you know, you, you, there's that Venn diagram of weird but usable. You know, you guys are nestled in there, <laughs> right. which is nice. So oh, it's great to hear. That's great. To yeah. Hear. What I just like my personal experience with it, I, you know, I expect it, you know, I know it says reverb and then kind of or whatever, you know, which I well, thought you know, was pretty funny. That tagline, we were in a meeting one day <laughs> and um, we're sitting there, we're trying to come up with a tagline. We wanted to come up with something that could give people a framework for it that wasn't mm -hmm. misleading them and they would know what they were getting on board, you know, and we're sitting there and John o. Wells is in this meeting. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He does a lot yeah, of no, John mm -hmm. He's been helping us out a ton over the past six months with, um, with, videos and, and social media materials and whatnot, but we're sitting there and I say, okay, all right, here we go. So what is it? It's a reverb. And then he says, kind of, and I'm like, that's it. <laughs> 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 yeah. It's a reverb kind of. That's perfect. I love that. Well, I would, so uh, yeah, so I go to patch it up and I'm like, okay, it's going to be a weird reverb, but I'm thinking it's going to mostly be a reverb that I can make weird. And the exact opposite was my has been my experience. I actually was sitting there like, okay, can I just get like a normal sounding, traditional sounding reverb on it? And it's like, yeah, you can. But I instantly lost any interest in wanting to do that. Because like, I'll just use the Z verb for that. You know, right? This, this is the first effect that I've ever used where I feel like, um, I'm, I'm always like a 25 to 50% wet guy, you know, with my effects. I find myself going fully drenched on this thing a lot just because it makes a completely different sound from what you're giving it. Yeah. Um, and something that doesn't sound, it sounds unique, like, and you can, you can get a lot of variation within those sounds. So like, I don't know, it, it, it is a reverb kind of, but it, yeah, it is just such a crazy effects processor. Right. And that's, that's the beauty of it. It can make reverb sounds, but why stop there? You know, it's kind exactly. of my experience. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it, it kind of fulfills the role that a, a reverb, a reverb fulfills in a patch for me at least, mm -hmm. but it, it just goes so many more places and that's infinitely more interesting to me, at least in the, the modular environment than mm -hmm. just a straight ahead reverb. Now I will say, um, this is kind of where that USB concept comes back into play is we have a lot of, um, I don't want to say vanilla. It's not the right word, but straight ahead reverb algorithms coming up. So it's just a little a bit of a, kind of a value add to people who are like, Hey, you don't always want a spectral reverb. Sometimes you do want that end of chain shimmer. Right. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. we do have alternate firmware planned that, you know, everybody, we're going to release them for free. You have the module, you just download the file, put it on the flash drive, boot up the module, and now it is this um, this new firmware. So, you know, these high fidelity FDN shimmer verbs, you'll be able to get those on the days that your patch calls for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's 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 awesome. Um, maybe someday I'll do that, but yeah, I, I, <laughs> I uh... <laughs> no, and I, you know, and I don't say that to, to take away from what it is because, you for know, sure, I for what sure. it is 100%, but um, yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like it's been a while since I have found, I have found a lot of great effects, you know, in, in the Eurorack space. And I, and I want to shout out like chaos devices that I don't know how to say it, like Kameniac or that, that phaser is one of the, my like favorite effects ever. I love using that phaser. It sounds great. It's, it's a, but it's a phaser, you know, it's just like, it's like the hot, it's like the peak of the mountain as far as phasers go. Um, but it's still being a phaser. Aurora, I I don't like, yeah, spectral, but it's 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 a new thing that I'm really excited. I don't know. I'm I'll I'll stop now. I feel like I'm just saying the same thing over and over again. But like, <laughs> it's it's cool to to get sent something and then get to talk to the person who made it 
you know, right after you use it. So like, dear listener, if you feel like I'm being sycophantic or, or, or over, overdoing it, I want to see yourself in this position and not, <laughs> not just go off about how awesome it is. Um, <laughs> but is there anything else that you want to, um, is there any, like, like anything else you want to tell people who maybe don't know much about it or, uh, I feel like I'm just, I keep interrupting you by being like, it's awesome. No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. I mean, like 100%, you know, um, I guess we didn't really talk too much about the firmware. I kind of mentioned the USB and, and the spectral mm -hmm. nature of it, but the, the key thing to remember is it's not really modeling physical spaces. And that's, that's the key takeaway, right? This is not going to give you your authentic room sound. And that's the beauty of it. That really is the beauty of where it comes in and what it provides. So it's providing, you know, artificial spaces, but it's creating things that sound like spaces, but they're not modeling spaces at all. It just happens. It's like an art. It's like um, an illusion, an auditory yeah. illusion that it sounds like a space just because of the crazy processing that's happening. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to ask a question and now I'm blanking on the, um, I, I, sh I, I meant to bring the manual up so I could ask this specific question. But, um, well, I guess I was going to Google an image of it, but you can tell me. Um, I want to say it might be the time. So there's warp, time, below time is... Um, reflect. Reflect. So is reflect, is that kind of like a, it seems like it kind of behaves like a delay. Yeah, exactly. That's the best way to think of it. So it's, it's a bunch of different zones, essentially, you could think of it. And each zone has a bunch of delays. Okay. Um, all, yeah, different um, time settings. And as you increase up the knob, the time settings are going to change, basically. So okay. it kind of starts at like comb territory, and then they'll get longer and longer up the knob. And then at the top of the knob, this is where it gets kind of crazy and chaotic. It's actually randomly choosing new delay times on the, on the fly. Okay. So that's, that's where you get these really dense, just like clouds of sound that are happening from, you know, even these staccato inputts mm -hmm. is with, you know, crank that reflect and, and, and a lot of the stereo imaging is built into that as well. So you have um, unique delay lines on the left and the right, and it's going to create this just massive texture of sound from these very tiny sources. Okay. And, I, was, so yeah. I knew I, I've, that, that, that makes me under, yeah, that helps me understand it because I was like this, it's behaving kind of like a delay, but it's not like, it's like totally that's and then i feel like the same thing with um i mean time is obviously is messing with the time um uh, but it's not like really like the is that like the tails would you sure. describe it or you know, like your decay time yeah that's the best way to think of it it's it's um what it's really doing is just time stretching essentially okay but when you tweak it and tailor it the way we have it winds up sounding like a reverb decay for the first portions of the knob and first half of the knob or so and then the second half is where it's just you stretch it so far that you're just getting this like drone of sound uh -huh, that's totally. from your input signal so it's like that's that's the key to me that is the the control that most demonstrates what's cool about aurora is like yeah okay it's it's kind of reverb for the first half because the time stretching is so short you're getting a decay mm -hmm. beyond mm -hmm. that you've stretched it too far now we're in this we're out we're in outer space at this point and the the laws of physics don't apply so now we've just stretched our sound <laughs> for too far and we're not in space because there's no air but we're somewhere right, where yeah, right. <laughs> there's air and it's droning and it's going into infinity and it's constantly changing and it's and it's and it's reacting differently based on your input signal and that's the okay. other thing since it's spectral in nature all the processing is going to change depending on your input and that's another okay. kind of just level of excitement for me at least that uh, okay patching it and then the atmosphere, again, like similarly to the delay, I'm like this. This feels filtery, but it also feels like it also it, it adds to 
the space or even has a time component maybe. Right, right. Well, when you, when you think of a traditional reverb, your filters are what shape the, the uh, response, the, the tech, the, um, the signature, the sonic signature of a reverb is, is usually going to come from the filters, right? You're going to have your damping and your low pass filters, high pass filters. In the Aurora, we've done the filtering using spectral processes, which is a completely different type of filter. This isn't just a low pass. And you can tell once you take atmosphere and you're on the left side of that knob, it sounds like you're underwater. Mm -hmm. That is not a low pass filter. This is something weird. It's like specifically subtracting these certain frequencies rather than just, you know, you have your rather than attenuating them, it's It's subtracting them. It's it's, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's, it's very unique in the way that it's affecting your, your frequency content. And that's why you get that underwater sound. And it gets, you know, as you, as you're getting farther and farther down counterclockwise on the knob, you're getting less content that's moving through the module and you get down to like one or two frequency bands, you know, and that's kind of why it sounds like that. And as you okay. increase it, it's like bands come in, right? So it's starting, it's like this organ underwater. That's kind of the mm-hmm. word we use to describe it. You, you come back up to center and it's adding these frequencies back in dead center. It's not, pro, it's not um, adding or subtracting frequencies. And then as you move to the right side of atmosphere, it's actually adding harmonic content via the phase vocoder. Yeah. Does that okay. make sense? So Yeah, totally. And that's another thing. It seems like past noon, all of these things kind of do switch and go into outer space or into another dimension different. or something. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where you start to get added um, harmonic content. So if you have a if you have a really, you know, spectrally rich signal going in, if you get on the right side of that knob, there's gonna be t- it's gonna add to that and it's gonna be mm-hmm. a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the warp is, I mean, I don't wanna like just say it's just pitch. But it, it's mostly pitch, right? Like you can do down octaves and up octaves, and that's probably the one control you can say, yeah, it's pitch shifter. Okay, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> but it does again. Seems like it's doing a little something different. It's too, doing though, things but... different because once again, this is you know it's spectral pitch shifting, so it's not um, it's not affecting your time portion of your signal. You know, mm-hmm, so it is mm-hmm. just affecting the pitch. So okay. it can it can get wild as well, yeah. but it's at least conceptually easy to understand. I love the like pretty easy right off the bat. If it's green, your octaves up or down. That's yeah. like such a beautiful like. All right, I I know I can start there and and add because you know something a trick I do with the morphogen all the time and it's something I'm gonna do with this as well. Um, is just pitch things down and like knowing ex- like if I'm playing something in that isn't tuned perfectly, I don't have to sit there and try to find it. Like I can just pitch it down and and actually fill in my low end by doing that. But further with with Aurora with adding all these you know, all these harmonics and everything or yeah. Right. And we noticed that off the bat when it was on an octave or a fifth or something like that, it sounded really pretty. If you had mm-hmm. like a tonal patch going in, it was very pretty when it was on the octave, but there was a stark contrast between right on an octave and right off an octave. And maybe that's what you're going for. Maybe it's not, but we realized mm-hmm. right then and there, you need to know easily, okay, I'm on an octave mm-hmm. or I'm not on an octave so that you can, you know, add the flavor you're going for. Yeah, definitely. Oh my gosh, we are. This is one of the longer episodes I've done in a really long time. Um, yeah, and I uh, is there anything that we haven't covered that you wanted to make sure you could scream from the modular mountaintops? I don't think so. We covered the um, the Aurora. I mean, I feel like we, I feel like we got to a certain point of the the history of the company and then had to switch gears to this. Like, I, I'm just like. I could, I could, I could talk to you for another hour and a half easily, but, um, yeah, I don't want to take up any more of your day. No, uh, fine. no the rest of that story is boring. Manufacturing <laughs> chip shortage, yada, yada, yada. You yeah. Know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I gave you a patch challenge and actually I didn't give you a patch challenge. Let me make sure I get the name right because I'm starting to take the patch challenge suggestions from, uh, my Patreon subscribers. So 
The first person to ever give me one on uh, Patreon is Pai Che, and they gave Quantum Tunneling, which I thought was pretty fun. Um, and that's the patch that you made. And what did you, uh, you sent me a picture and I heard it, a lot of data bender and a lot of Aurora, but, um, yeah, I'm excited to uh, play that for the listener and, uh, you and I will talk about that in a moment, but let's just end the, uh, the regular episode. And I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. All right. Here is Andrew Eikenberry's quantum tunneling.
All right, that's our show. Thank you so much to Andrew for coming on. Don't forget to check out the Aurora. Super cool, new, uh, crazy reverb, sort of. Um, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Don't forget about Velocity. Get your tickets at VelocitySeattle.com. Thank you to Patchworks and After Later Audio for your continued support of the show. And thank you to everybody who uh, uh, supports me on Patreon. Don't forget about these uh, these modules that might be might be uh, up for grabs. It is not a raffle and is not random, and it doesn't matter what level of patron you are. Um, I'm just I just got some stuff that. I, I want to share with people and I figured the Patreon patrons would be good people to share it with. Um, and don't forget that on the Patreon right now is also Andrew's, uh, the bonus content with Andrew walking us through his patch today. So, um, yeah, thank you everybody. Today's or this week's, uh, secret word is jitter. Thanks for listening to Podular Modcast until next week.